Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be there and we're going to look at some other verses this morning. Uh, last two Sundays we started a new series and we're alternating series as we do, <laughs> do often. Um, last two Sundays we, do, we began in a series of, uh, uh, about the life of uh, Job in the Old Testament. Lord, I have a problem. And this week we're going to break that for uh, this week at least and look at um, our fourth in our series we started back before Christmas, the, the Alpha and Omega, about Jesus from eternity past to eternity future. And so this is the fourth message today. We began uh, back before Christmas talking about Jesus in his glory in heaven before he was born. And then we looked at a message also. Our second message was about his birth um, and, and uh, looked at that back, uh, I think it was a Sunday or so before Christmas, and then we, we looked at on, um, I think earlier in January, we looked at a third message about Jesus in his childhood, so, uh, and talked about it up to the time that his ministry began, and we'll look um, today at a few verses about Jesus as, as God, but as the God-man. Lord willing, this week and next week, we'll look at um, back-to-back messages about Jesus uh, in this Alpha and Omega series. This week we'll look at Jesus as the God-man as man. Lord willing, next week we'll look at Jesus as the God-man as God. And he was both of those. And that's very clear in so many passages of Scripture. And we'll look at today and mostly be in uh, some of the gospel accounts about Jesus during his life and ministry. So if you'll look with me in Philippians chapter 2. As you make your way there, our key verse for the whole series is Revelation 1-8, where Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. He's always existed. He's always been. But there was a point in time, we call it Christmas time or, worship, or celebrated at Christmas time, where Jesus was born and lived a physical human life on earth, yet being God at the same time. So what we're going to do today is see him as a man, and next week, Lord willing, see him as God, and see how those, uh, because he was both of those, how they, how they coincide with each other all during his life. And we'll look at that this morning. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. So he's always been God. Um, when he came to earth to, be, to, to live a life of 33 and a half years roughly on earth, in a physical body as a human being, he limited himself to time and space because he, he did come here as a man. So we'll look at that this morning. Philippians 2, verse 3 to verse 8. Um, let's read this, uh, look at this section here. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're going to see how, as a believer in Jesus Christ, um, with a few exceptions for a lost person, it's almost impossible to not be selfish. With a few exceptions, there are some lost people that can be very giving. But for the Christian, that should never, ever be the way we are. Self should not be the center of all we are and who we do. And those two verses tell us that. Don't be... Uh, don't. Uh, um, uh, be be like, like Jesus in mind, he says. We'll pick back up in verse 4 in a moment. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, and with lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. Who did that more than anybody else could? Jesus did that. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but also in the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you also, which was in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, verse 7, of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. We call that the birth, the, the Christmas time, celebrate his birth, first advent, verse 8. And being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now next week we'll probably pick back up on this passage again and then follow on down in the next few verses. But today we're going to look at it from the aspect of Jesus, the God-man, as man. And so we'll look at that today as we talk about this. So as we see um, here that Jesus humbled himself, took upon uh, the form of humanity by being born as a baby. Um, we, you know, we call it Christmas. And then, of course, growing up. In our last two messages, we talked about Jesus' birth and, and we talked about his uh, childhood, his, and, um, uh, his, his, his years of growing and developing until that time when he put down his father's carpenter tools and knew it was time for his ministry to begin. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 3 that he was about 30 years of age, 29 to 30 years of age when he started. He was 30 when he started his ministry for about three and a half years. And so as uh, a man and as God, as the son of God, uh, he was, he was um, God in the flesh and began his ministry. But let's look about that a little bit from the aspect of him being human. Go back with me to the Gospel of John. We were in uh, uh, Philippians. Go back with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the New Testament in several places. John chapter 1 and uh, look at verse number 14. And it says this, and the word, that's a capital W. When you're studying the Bible, and it has to do with either Jesus or the Bible, if it's a capital W, it's the word that's Jesus, the living incarnate word. If it's a small W, such as in uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself, uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word, small w, of truth. That's talking about the Bible. The capital W is Jesus. And we, the word was made flesh. He took on a human body, as we saw in Philippians 2, made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory um, as the glory of the only, uh, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, while he was on earth, um, though he was certainly God, he took on that human body as man. And he was full of grace and truth. Go back to, in your Bible, leave John and go back to, toward the book of Revelation. And go to 1 John, if you will. 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. Remember, John was an apostle. Um, there were a couple of different Johns in the New Testament. There's John the Baptist, and uh, there's uh, John Mark. This is John the Apostle, brother of James. And of all the twelve, Jesus was closest to John. Uh, of all the twelve apostles, disciples, apostles. And John writes in his little epistle, 1 John, of only five chapters, and says this. Verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. So he is confirming there in, in uh, 1 John, as we saw, as you read in the Gospels, that he was literal human being, not just God, although he was. He was literal human being as well. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, same book, chapter 4. Verse 2 and verse 3. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 
Then he says in verse 3, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come of the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof uh, you have heard that it should come, and even now is it already in the world. And so there, uh, even back in the early times of the early church, John and Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, the, the New Testament letters to the churches and, and other letters, that wrote, and also Peter and, and Jude, James, they would confirm, of course, that Jesus was indeed, is indeed, God in the flesh. But there was a false doctrine going on in that time, in the, the early days of the church even, that's still floating around today, and it manifests itself in different cults here and there. This is the view that Jesus was not really God, at least not all the time. In fact, there's a view that there was something called the Spirit of the Christ that would um, that would at some point during his ministry would settle on him for a while and then it would leave and come back and it would leave and come back. And so it was a false teaching that has gone in through the centuries and is in various cults today. This, this false view uh, that he was human, but that the spirit of Christ would be on him at times. During those times, according to this false view, he was deity. He was God only at those times, but then it would leave him. But the scripture makes it very, very clear that Jesus was always God, just as he was always man. They were, he was both of those. The Bible makes it very, very clear that Jesus was, is, and always will be God. Just as much God as if he were not man, though he certainly was and is, and just as much man as if he were not God, though he certainly was and is. And we see that here from the scripture. However, this morning, we're going to dive into this message and knowing absolutely certain that Jesus is God. We're going to focus on the fact that he was human also. In this message, we'll look at the fact that he's human, but he, that he was divine. So let's look at that and see that today. Why did God become a man? Why did Jesus take on humanity? We, we talk about it at Christmas time, but let's look at it from the aspect of his humanity during his ministry. And there are about four things we want to look at about that today. So if you're... If you're um, um, if you're not taking notes, or even if you are, if you would like to turn with me, or if you would like to take notes and write these down and look at them later, I'll read them to you. We're going to look at several places today. First thing we want to see, go with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. We're going to be in the Gospels a good bit this morning. So right around those four books together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see some things. Number one, the reason Jesus had to become a man, one reason, is he had to experience what he could not experience in heaven. He had to experience some of the things that he could not experience while he was in heaven. Jesus was in heaven. Eternity passed because he's what we call the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And as God the Son, he's always been. As God the Son, he has all the knowledge that God knows. God knows everything before it ever happens. He knows everything. He knows that because he's God. But there are some things Jesus had to experience for you and me that he could not experience while he was in heaven. He could not experience while he was seated there on the throne next to the Father's right hand. He couldn't experience these things. Let's look at that. Um, we're going to look at several. We're going to have to do this kind of quickly this morning. And so look with me at Matthew 21. Look with me at verse number 18. Now in the morning, uh, as he returned into the city, he hungered. Jesus got hungry. God never gets hungry. God doesn't need food. Jesus as a man in his humanity, he would get hungry just like you and I get hungry. Go with me to uh, John. There are two right here in the same chapter. John chapter 4. John 4. Look with me. Um, this is a familiar passage. should be. This is where Jesus um, the disciples go into another city for a short time. Jesus said, I need to go into Samaria. I must needs go into Samaria. 
And the disciples are like, why do you want to go there? You, you know, we don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. They didn't like them. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. Why do you want to go there? Jesus knew exactly why he had to go there and who he was going to see. You remember the, the, the familiar uh, passage about the woman at the well. And those of you who watched The Chosen, uh, I think it was maybe in season two or early in season three, one of my very favorite episodes is this one, The Woman at the Well. If you've seen it, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Great episode. Uh, but there we see Jesus who sees the woman at the well. Look what he says to her, John 4. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied in his journey, sat thus on the wall uh, at the well, and it was about the sixth hour. He was weary. He got tired because he, is, he was indeed human and got tired, just as you and I get tired. Does God ever get tired? The Bible says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Does that mean Jesus is not God? No, that means that Jesus and his humanity, he got tired just like we got. We get tired. In the book of Luke, go with me back to chapter 8, in fact. Luke chapter 8, uh, to your left. I uh, mentioned him being tired. This is the next thing. Luke 8, look at verse number 22 and 23. If I can get to the right chapter, that would help. Luke 8, verse 22 and 23. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went to a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over onto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. So Jesus, here he is, even during a storm of all things, he's so exhausted, he's so sleepy, he falls asleep while a storm's going on. Does God sleep? The Bible says he does not sleep or slumber, but Jesus slept because God in his humanity, Jesus Christ, needed sleep like you and I need sleep. He had to experience some of the things on earth that he did not and could not experience in heaven. He knew them being God, but he experienced them being human. I'm going somewhere with this. The next thing about Jesus, uh, go with me, if you're in Luke, go with me to chapter 19, Luke 19. Uh, about his humanity that he had experienced. Go into chapter 19. The, another thing that he experienced that you and I experienced at different times in our life, Jesus experienced tears. John 19, 35, the shortest Bible in the verse everybody's memorized. Jesus wept. He cried, remember, when Lazarus, his friend, had died. Jesus wept. He cried uh, uh, at the time when he comes back into town and he hears that news. Did he know about it? Of course he knew about it. Did Jesus have tears? Sure he did. He cried because he loved his friend. He loved um, Mary and Martha, all that family. They were very close to Jesus. He loved him. Look at chapter 19 and verse 41 to 44. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near and beheld the city, wept over it. He's talking about, it's talking about Jerusalem here. He weeps. He's on his way. He's not very far before he's going to be heading to the cross. And this is toward the very end of his ministry, right? He's about to be crucified. And it says, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. Verse 42, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee on every side. And shall lay uh, thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now, that happened more than once in history, and it will certainly happen again during the tribulation. But here's Jesus weeping. 
He's crying. He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping over the city full of the people that he came to minister to, to, to minister to and to give his life for, to shed his blood for them. He cries over them. You can tell a lot about a person about what makes them cry. You can tell a lot about somebody about what brings tears to the eye. Sometimes their tears may be tears of sorrow. Some tears may be tears of frustration. Sometimes there may be tears of regret or tears of pain. Some tears are tears of happiness. But Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Jesus wept because he sorrowed over Jerusalem. What makes you weep? But Jesus wept because being God and being man, he had emotion. He could feel those emotions. Emotions are not a bad thing. God created us with those. But emotions are not to lead us. Emotions are indicators in our life that we realize that, yes, we have those emotions. Okay, let's figure out what we need to do with that. But getting back to my point here, Jesus wept. Another thing, real quick. Go with me to Matthew 11. In fact, hold Luke right there in your hand because we're going to be right there, and then we're going to move on. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 18 and verse 19. Jesus uh, experienced a lot of things in his life and in his ministry. Look at Matthew 11, verse 18 and 19. This is not the only time this happened during his ministry, but look at what it says. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came also eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber didn't say he was drinking uh, something he shouldn't be drinking. It just said they were accusing him of that. A gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So Jesus knew false accusation. He knew what it was like to be falsely accused. There was a time when he faced the Pharisees and when they said to him, well, we're not born of fornication. Jesus wasn't either. And so they were accusing him of that, and certainly that was not true. And then, of course, there's... there's um, where he was uh, betrayed, an accusation and betrayal by Lazarus, or excuse me, by Lazarus, um, uh, as he was getting ready uh, to go to the cross by Judas, get the, get the name right, he was betrayed by him. He went from accusation to full betrayal. He went through all of that. Have you ever been falsely accused? You, it's probably not on your bucket list of things to do before you die, if you haven't, but if you have, Jesus went through that. One more. Go with me to Luke 22. Luke 22. Of course, with all these other things and the emotional pain of tears, Jesus knew physical pain. When he was up in heaven, there in the throne, at the throne, seating at the Father's right hand, he didn't know any physical pain. He was there in heaven as God would never know pain, could never know pain except knowing it in, in the mind of God. But he had to experience it while he was on earth. Luke 22, look with me at verse number 44. This is when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying right before he's crucified. And it says this, and being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There is a physical, actually physical ailment called hematidrosis in which it can occur where someone's in such a heavy emotional state where they bleed and the blood that they bleed comes through their, um, through their sweat glands. Jesus was under such uh, physical pain, mental pain, anguish. As he prayed in the garden, the Bible says that his blood, his, he was sweating blood. Hematidrosis is the medical term through his, through his sweat glands. He knows pain. And then, of course, going to the cross. As bad as that was in the garden, facing what he faced at the cross, even before he got there, all the beating, the crown of thorns on his head, all the pain that he went through. He went through it for you and for me on the cross. 
He could not experience that in heaven at the throne. He had to come to earth to take on the body of a human being like you and me, yet he was without sin. He went through that pain. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Jesus knew pain. He said, I know you're hurting. I know how you're hurting and when you're hurting, and I'll run to you in your pain. I'll come alongside. I'll help. Have you ever felt physical pain? He was crucified. He went through the worst pain anyone could ever go through. Have you ever felt the pain of loneliness? He had times when he prayed with no one else around him. In fact, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we looked at just a moment ago, the disciples, uh, many of them weren't even around, but the three closest, they were all asleep. They all fell asleep while Jesus was praying. Have you ever been forsaken? He was forsaken on the cross as he died. In fact, God the Father forsook him. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me for a short time while he was on the cross? God the Father forsook his own son. He was betrayed by one of the twelve, Judas, get the name right this time. He says, I've been where you are. I know your pain. So he had to experience some things that he could not experience in heaven. Second, move a little faster. He had to understand sinners without sinning himself. We don't have time for it, but the reference is in Luke chapter 4. The Bible tells us about our Savior when his ministry began. As soon as it it began, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He begins his ministry. For 40 days and 40 nights, he goes into the wilderness, and he's fasting. No, No food, no water, 40 days, 40 nights, miraculous fast there in the desert, in the wilderness. And the Scripture says, during that time, our enemy... Satan appeared to him and tempted him three different times. And the Bible says that all three times Jesus was victorious over that temptation. Because every time Satan would tempt, Jesus answered it with, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says about it, Satan. And so he, of course, was victorious over sin. But he was tempted to sin. He knew what that was like uh, in his humanity. He had to understand sinners without sinning himself. He knew temptation. He knew what it was like to be tempted to the point that your flesh couldn't resist. You ever had temptation like that? All of us at some point somehow have. When Jesus was at the weakest point with hunger and fatigue, he still was victorious. So we see here that Jesus uh, took our place when he died on the cross for our sins. He had to understand sinners without sinning himself. And it's because of that that Jesus knows what it's like to be, to be tempted. But we also learn when you look in that passage in Luke 4, we also see there that he knew what it was like to overcome temptation. We do not have to give over to temptation in our life. Jesus die, uh, did not die for us and pay for our sins in order that we can have freedom to sin. He died for us and paid for our sins in order that we can have freedom from sin. There's a huge difference He gives us freedom from sin. Remember, his temptation from the enemy happened as soon as his ministry began. And that's why being victorious as he went through his ministry. In fact, there were other times that that he was tempted, I'm sure. But as he goes through his ministry, remember when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in the act of adultery? Or they said she was. Funny, there was no man that was there. Said that she was caught in the act of adultery and they were trying to trap him. They were trying to say, okay, what is he going to say now? We're going to get him with his words. And he asked her, is everybody, is he drawn in the road in the sand? And everybody walked away because they knew that they couldn't accuse with it without pointing fingers to themselves somehow, some way. 
They all walked away, and she's there by herself, standing there and talking to Jesus. And he asked her, where are your accusers? And nowhere, Lord. Why? Because everybody else, they were guilty of something. And he, he said to her, he said, neither do I condemn thee. Was there a period there? Go and sin no more. Jesus showed us that he had to be human. He had to leave heaven. He had to take on a human body to be tempted. But he also showed us that we can be victorious because ultimately as he went to the cross. Number three, this two is a little quicker than one. Uh, number three, go with me over to the book of Hebrews for a moment. In fact, we're going to be there uh, a little bit before we, um, before we close in several verses. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. So he had to uh, leave, leave heaven so he could understand things that he could not in heaven uh, and know things he could not know in heaven. Going to Hebrews 2, he had to understand sinners without sinning himself. And then number 3, look with me at chapter 2 of Hebrews and verse number 10. Therefore I endure... Whoop, I guess I better get the right book. I was in, I was in um, 2 Timothy. That's not the right place. Hebrews 2, Barry, 2, yeah, and verse 10. Let's get there. Okay, um, Hebrews 2, verse number 10. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Number 3, he showed us that suffering happens to everyone even the God-man. Even Jesus is God in the flesh. Suffering happens to everyone. The last two Sundays I mentioned, we've been looking at Job and looking at problems through the life of, uh, of Job. We've looked at that and, and I've been studying about his life. I don't understand all the reasons as to why the Lord allows suffering to come into Job's life, Job's life and I don't understand all the reasons why he lets suffering come into our life. I don't understand all that. I don't know. Only God knows that. So we have to realize that he does certainly know it. And although we don't have the answers, there's one thing for certain or a few things we know for certain. Romans 8 verse 17 says, And if children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. And I know that in Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. There is a closeness that you'll have with God that you couldn't have if you weren't going through some of the sufferings you're going through. Why? Because you're going to look to him more. You're going to talk to him more. You're going to enjoy a fellowship. As painful as things may be, you're going to enjoy a fellowship that you wouldn't know if there had not been suffering. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 guarantees us if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. What a wonderful promise. Paul Claudel, quote, um, I didn't really know much about him. I looked him up, and, um, I, I, but, but this quote I like. Jesus did not come to explain away suffering and to remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. As Paul said, that we will know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. So he had to, uh, not only did he have to understand sinners without sinning himself, but he had to show that suffering happens to everyone, even the God-man number four. He had to prove that by his sinless life, he is our perfect substitute. By his sinless life, he is our perfect substitute. He was perfect because he was God. But also being man, he never sinned. And he could only be our substitute if he, if he was both of those. And he certainly was and is. He was both God and man. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite passages where the scripture says, and, and God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2 
and verse 22, if you want to go back there with me, if you're still in Hebrews, we're going to be back in Hebrews real quick in just a moment. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, uh, Peter says this, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile is a, is a form of deception uh, by default. In other words, it's not straight out lying. It's just not being honest, not being upfront. Jesus, not only he did, not, did he not lie, he didn't even have guile in his mouth. He didn't even, say, uh, didn't even say things that skipped around and tried to look truth, uh, look like he was telling truth without being true. He had no guile in his mouth. Let's make this practical. Um, number four, he had to prove that by a sinless life, he is our perfect substitute. So let's make this practical. When we see that Jesus became human in order to teach, uh, teach us by his life and ministry, we see some things. Number one, as a man, Jesus is our example. Now let me say this. Um, understand this very important thing. Jesus is our example, but he is more than just our example. We have to understand that. Many of the world religions like Jesus because of maybe some of the things he taught or that while he was on earth, he was a meek and mild Jesus. They, they like that, a lot of those religions, so they'll grab a little Jesus here and there and add it to their religion. Uh, but Jesus could not have been a great teacher of things and say the things he said if he were not God in the flesh, and we'll get to that next week. And so um, they, they like that. But understand, Jesus cannot honestly be your example if you've not trusted him as your Savior. That is how he's your example. It's first and foremost, he must be your Savior. Again, look with me at uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, we were there earlier. We read verse 3 to 5. Now, with that in mind and what we've seen thus far about him and his humanity, let's look again at Philippians 2, start at verse 2, actually, and read down to verse 5. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love. That's what the body of Christ needs, right, is love, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. That's how we do it. We're one in mind. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. It means our one mind, our agreement is that we're here to serve the Lord. We're here to minister to each other. Just as Paul says in these next verses, pick up verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Who did that more than anyone Jesus did? Because he's our example, because he's our Savior. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, the very first characteristic right out of the box, Paul says in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves. How do we cure that? Verse 4, look not every man to his own things, but also unto the things of others. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? The last few verses we just looked at. Because the next few verses tell us how he did it. He left heaven. He became man. So let's look at a couple of more things. Uh, I mentioned Hebrews. Uh, go back there with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 5. Um, look at a couple more verses in Hebrews. So as man, Jesus showed us the importance of obeying God. Not only is, is man was he our example, but also as man, he showed us the importance of obeying God. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, that's a capital S because he's the son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He shows us the importance of obeying God. He was God of the flesh. He was the second person of the Trinity. And yet he yielded everything, all of, his, all of who he was, all of his always continually, we'll look at that in the fourth point, actually, everything to his father. That yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. He shows us the importance of obeying God. Also as a man, Jesus can empathize with our temptations. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 18. 
For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or succor them that are tempted. That's an old English word that means basically that word succor or succor means to run to, to run to with support, to help or to relieve someone when they're in difficulty. We looked at that point, talked about pain a while ago, and where uh, the Bible, or the, the quote that I gave you, that he runs to us, uh, uh, shouts to us in our pain, and so Jesus knows our pain. He can empathize with our temptations, whatever temptation they may be. He was tempted to sin, though he never sinned, by our enemy. He was tempted in the garden. He could have just, just thrown in the towel and said, I'm not doing this. Father, if it's thy will, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't God's will. He said, but if not, he said, I'm going to go over the cross. I'm not, I'm not going to avoid it. If I can avoid it, but he knew that he had to go to the cross. Let me read your reference and then go with me to Hebrews 10 while you do this. is our final thing this morning. Go with me to Hebrews 10. And as you make your way there, just a chapter or two away, John 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus said, I came from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father, the one that sent me. Number four, as a man, Jesus was committed to the will of God. Hebrews 10 and verse number seven. This is actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Psalms in chapter 42, I believe it is. And look at verse seven. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's from Psalm 42, I believe it is. And it's a prophecy of Jesus um, when he would, uh, during his life in ministry, he said, I've come to do thy will, O God. As a man, he was committed to the will of God. What a great example. Lord, what is your will for my life? Now, there's some things that's God's will for everybody. It's his will for everybody to be saved. It's for every, will for everybody to be filled with the Spirit and to live you know, a godly Christian life. But there are certain things in your life and mine that are, that are unique to us because of who we are. And Jesus gave us the example that he was committed to the will of the Father. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Him as Savior, are you committed to the will of God for your life? Life is way too short not to be. Are you committed to the will of God for your life, whatever that may be? Well, He may call me to be a pastor. Well, that's not that bad. He, he may call you to be a missionary. Well, you know, we need more of them. He may call you to be faithful right where you are. Now, we need that. We need that. What is He calling you to do? What is his will for your life? Do you see the example of Jesus and realize, I want to commit myself to the will of the Father? Are you always going to make the right choices and decisions? No, we're human. Are you going to take a left when you should have taken a right? Yes, we're human. But if our heart's desire is to be committed to the will of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, as, as Jesus was, he's not going to fake us out. He's not going to deceive us. He's going to give us direction in our life. And think about it. This life is not really that long. It's a short life. If we have 100 years, it's still not that long when you measure to eternity. Do you really want to get one day to the judgment seat of Christ and not have anything that you've done for Him while you're on earth? Not a thing. Do you want to do that? That's not going to be determined whether you get to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ, as I preached about last fall, that doesn't determine whether you're going to heaven you wouldn't be there if you weren't. That determines what have you done for Jesus Christ since you've been saved? Are you committed to the will of the Father? Lord, I want to do your will. Like my Savior gave the great example, because he's my Savior, I want to do your will. So we see him in his humanity today. We see that 
as God in the flesh, he was the perfect man. Never sinned, never did anything wrong, never had a wrong thought, never had to apologize to anybody for anything he ever said or did because he never did anything wrong. The perfect man. Now, we fall short there, don't we? We sure do. And so the world's religions that want to talk about Jesus and the things he taught, if they really wanted to follow him, uh, well, for one thing, they'd trust him as Savior, but if they wanted to follow him, then why aren't they perfect? Because they're like us, they're sinners. <laughs> and every sinner needs a Savior. And I hope you've trusted him as your Savior, and I hope that you're um, doing what you can as you follow him. Lord, what is your will for my life? Thank you, Lord, for the day you blessed us with. And thank you for our Savior who came to earth, left heaven, because there were some things that in heaven, though he knew them by creating us, though he knew them and deity is God, he had to experience them in his humanity because he was man, the perfect man. And Lord, we... Um, emphasize a lot the fact that he's God and, and hopefully next week we'll get on that sermon and talk about that next week and, and that subject. But Lord, we also have to remember that he was man. He was both. And to be our perfect sacrifice, he had to be both. He couldn't have just been God. He had to have a human body. And having a human body meant that he went through the things that we go through. Very similar we live in a different day. There's different technology. There are different times we live in. But the basic things he went through, we go through. And as he went through them, he showed his humanity and his deity. And we thank you for a perfect Savior that you, only you could have sent. And only he could have paid our price because he was both God and man. We thank you for what we saw in the Word today. I pray that you'll encourage us, not only with the doctrinal truths about it, but the practical aspects as well, Lord. Both of those are very important in Christian growth. And help us to understand those things. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, they'll come to know Him as their Savior. Even today, to realize that it was because He was man that He could take our place as God on the cross. To pay for our sins because He was perfect as God, but to pay for our sins in the body because He was human. We thank you for our Savior today. May we rejoice in Him more and more, Lord. We thank you for that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. But if you'll come at this time, and let's close with a verse. Let's stand and close. Hope everybody has a great week. And remember to pray for those uh, special prayer needs today. What number, buddy? 586. 586. 586. Let's stand.